the deadline to get skis to Germany was like three days away, four days away or something like that. And I was like, oh, I just can't do it. Like, there's no way this is going to happen. I'm in Tokyo. I don't have like the right pair of skis with me, whatever. And so I had to be talking to my mom. And as moms do, she's like, well, I'll get them there. And uh, she went down because, you know, classic startup. Our skis were still stored in my parents' basement. She went down the basement, found the ski, boxed it up, put a nice little ribbon on it. And got out the door and it showed up at like 9.53 for a 10 a.m. deadline in in Munich, Germany. And uh, turns out we won. That's pretty wild. So, yeah, it just elevated us to a a level that we would never could have gotten if it wasn't for that. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, Sam sits down with friend of VSET, Cyrus Schenk, founder and CEO of Renown, the best all-mountain and powder skis on planet Earth. Welcome, this is Sam Roach-Gerber, recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Today's episode is brought to you by the Vermont Small Business Development Center. Hi, Cyrus. Hey, Sam. How are you? I'm so happy to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. It's been a while. It's been so long. And like, yeah. I, I realize there's been a pandemic, but also just like missing all these events where I run into you yep. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it's weird coming back to VSET here and walk through the halls where, uh, yeah, where we had an office here what, five, five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. It's been a while. It's unbelievable. I know I was like refreshing myself on Renown a little bit before and I'm like, Man, so many good times and memories, and you've been at it for a while, so I'm excited to to yeah. dig in a little bit with you today. It's going on 10 years now. Amazing. Yeah. That's so amazing. And I should mention to our listeners, uh, today is actually a Dave-less sode. We have no Dave today, which, as I said to Cyrus, either means we're going to get like thousands and thousands of new listeners because uh, I finally have the, the light that I deserve here. Uh, or we're going to lose all of our listeners. And really, they were just Dave fans. So yeah. I think we're going to gain a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, well, I appreciate you being my guinea pig here. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> what do you need? He's probably out out snowboarding in the sunshine. <laughs> so we, w- we won't feel too bad for him. No, not at all. Um, so tell me about Renown. Um, what makes your skis better than anything else on the market? And for the love of God, what is non-Newtonian polymer? <laughs> totally. <laughs> Yeah, so Renown is a, a high-end, high-tech ski company that I started uh, when I was still in college at Clarkson University, which is in, in way upstate New York. And we we're just the first guys that were crazy enough to put this material called a, a non-Newtonian polymer inside inside a pair of skis. And yeah, non-Newtonian essentially is a fancy way of just saying something that can act pretty soft at rest and then be really, really hard if it's um, exposed to vibrations or impacts or something like that. So in the case of a pair of skis, when you're on a green, like a green trail, like a groomer trail, pretty easy. The ski's going to feel a lot softer. And if you start skiing faster, more aggressively, or start hitting harder ice or something, the ski actually feels stiffer by afterwards and almost like three times as stiff as it originally was. So it's essentially an adaptable ski. There's no dials or anything to it. It's all in the chemical compound, the makeup of the, the actual ski core itself. And yeah, we're the ones that are just crazy enough to patent it and put inside a pair of skis and and here we are today. It worked. That's that's insane. So tell me a little bit about like how you found out about this and how you made the connection of, wait, this could be a ski technology and then finding out that no one had done it yet. Yeah. I was, so I, I was in a material science class at school and the professor had, uh, after the entire you know semester of teaching us how most materials work in the world, whether it's, you know, concrete or glass or steel or anything, he threw up this graph on the board about uh, this, you know, wild subset called a non-Newtonian polymer and or material. And, uh, we, 
looked, I looked at it and was just like, oh, if that data is true, everything like that we just were taught was a wrong or, you know, kind of thrown out the window. But if that was true, then, you know, the implications of that stuff in a pair of skis, I was a skier, which is like a, a natural, you know, segmentation into, you know, something I, I love dearly. And, uh, so we just got our hands on it. We tested it out and it turned out to work like way better than we thought uh, in terms of its performance characteristics increase on the ski. And, uh, we just decided to, to go for it. So tell me about that first pair of skis you made. Like you must've been dying to see, like, does this actually <laughs> work? And what is the difference between whatever you had been skiing on before? Yeah. The first couple of pairs, we actually didn't have the material inside of it yet. And they were, um, actually pretty bad. It was hilarious. We actually never even skied the very first pair cause it was, well, it looked like a ski, but it, it wasn't going to ski like a ski kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So we put that on the wall and, but down the road, like once we kind of figured out how to actually build skis and stuff, we were able to test out, um, you know, imp- implementing this polymer inside the actual core itself. And yeah, getting on it for the first time was just like a, wow, I think this actually could change how like skiing how skiing's done. Um, in the ski world, there's, you know, there's a saying, we always joke around that we we're all selling slotty sticks, you know, <laughs> sticks that slide in snow and stuff. And there's only so much you can do with something that's about, you know, 10 centimeters wide and about 170 centimeters long. There's only so much you can do it in there. And, you know, for the first time we started looking at, you know, new materials that were outside of the original scope of every ski, single ski manufacturer in the world. So we just started bringing in, you know, this particular material that has its history more in the aerospace world um, and tried it in a pair of skis and, you know, and it worked. And it was only just because we, we pulled an existing kind of material and just put a new application for it. And, you know, when we started looking to see if other people had done it yet, we just Googled around, try to find, you know, we were like, for sure, one of these big guys must have figured this out by now. You know, it makes so much sense. The data is just so good. And when we found out that no one had, uh, we just decided to go for it. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that story. And, you know, that's something we talk a lot about with entrepreneurs that are creating a brand new product is is um, getting protection, right? IP, patents. Um, and I'm sure once you were noticing that no one else sort of had anything here, what was that process like? And sort of at what stage did you start? Did you realize you needed the patent or or some sort of IP to protect it before <laughs> moving forward? Yeah, we actually had uh, some great advisors in school who uh, essentially told us we had to get a, to get a patent if they were going to continue to um, help us out by giving us they had given us a uh, based on office space to, to build the first prototypes in. And they were just like, if you guys don't get a provisional patent, we're not, we're going to stop giving you access to this office because someone's going to steal this idea. If it's that, if it's really as good as you say it is, someone's going to steal it. So <laughs> that's actually, we were kind of uh, cajoled into to getting our first patent. Cause at the time, like, well, no one's going to steal it. Like they're all the skiing world's all just a bunch of friends. It's all fine. And sure enough, you know, we got the patent in three years later, we won, you know, the top awards in the industry, like in the world. And uh, yeah, our supplier actually tried to, try to rip us, rip us off and we it turned into a, a kind of a, a stare down stalemate and the only reason we were able to walk away and we actually never have we never had to get into an actual legal fight or anything but the only reason we were able to stand our ground was because inequivocally we had the patent for it it was already granted it was in our possession um, and had we not had that we absolutely wouldn't be here unbelievable i i hope you sound like a fruit basket to your professor <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's it is a scary thing and i think um you know the more you can kind of take care of that stuff ahead of time and then focus on growing your business is mm-hmm. is the way to go cuz a lot of people find out the hard way so yeah. um yeah if it wasn't for that advice then we would have we would have found out the hard way for sure oh yeah 
brutal. Well, let's not think about that. That's <laughs> too <laughs> no, dark. No, try not to. Um, so Renown is not your first entrepreneurial venture. Um, tell me about inside and out window washing and how it has helped fuel Renown. Yeah. Um, so actually before window washing, I started a rototilling business Whoa. Uh, when I was in, in middle school and Amazing. I would rototill people's gardens on the, the weekends and after school and stuff. And that kind of capped out cause there's only, a, you know, you can only basically rototill for two weeks in the summer and two weeks in the fall. And so yeah, I transitioned that into a window washing business and started that in my junior year of high school. And essentially that funded, you know, a lot of my college, it, it funded my trips out to, or a, a trip out to Europe when I was in school. And that uh, was a pretty big part in keeping me kind of on track, I guess, uh, throughout college. And ultimately after I, I left school and I dropped out and I used window washing to actually as a way to fund Renown for the first I mean, I say five years, but I think if I'm honest, there's there's uh, <laughs> there's times in the past, even recent years, that we've dipped into the window washing fund or the the revenue that it generates. You know, it's backing some of the the loans that are initial loans with Renown. So, without a doubt, if it wasn't for you know a squeegee and some soapy water, we wouldn't be here either. Yeah, amazing, <laughs> and I love that story so much. I remember you telling me about that, and I think it's such a good lesson, especially for young entrepreneurs that are sort of hustling to figure it out and. Mm-hmm. I think there's a tendency nowadays for like people to immediately look for capital resources, Mm -hmm. um, sort of banks and grants and loans and things, which are great. But, you know, the old fashioned bootstrap from another entrepreneurial (laughs) venture is is pretty badass. Yeah. And I think we we were lucky, too, because we because we were so cash strapped in the beginning because we're, you know, I was just self-funding it. I I say we because I feel like there's there's so many people involved uh, with renown in the beginning, that's, I can't really claim everything about it because so many people have given so much time and so much of their expertise, their connections, you know, and ultimately in some cases money towards renown. So I feel, I feel like I can't really claim renown as, as I in any way. So that's why I said, you know, we, but, um, yeah, there's no way we could have done it without it. And there's times where, you know, having such a small budget through a window washing company, it forced us to be a lot more dedicated and specific with how we expended that money. Uh, we, if we had had a million dollars, we would have spent a hundred, you know, we would have spent all that money. And instead we only just spent, you know, the, the thousand and we were able to be more specific where we we're going to, you know, focus in on and, uh, be far more efficient with, with those funds. And yeah, ultimately I think it, it, although it's very hard in, in the process, I mean, I can remember days where I'd come in here to VSET from five to 7am, do renown and then leave at seven to wash windows from seven to five and then come back, you know, at seven um, and do a couple hours at night kind of thing. And yeah, that was really hard. But where I stand now is, you know, I renowns in a spot now that it, now it just couldn't have been. in if I was, you know, if I'd taken capital from a venture, a VC firm or something like that, or a higher, you know, net worth individual earlier on, um, not to say that getting funding is not a bad thing necessarily, but in, in a case, especially at the end of the ski industry as a whole, like so many people make, make the mistake of going out, raising a bunch of money, blowing through all of it, losing control of their company. And then, you know, you're, you're in this small industry anyhow, in a, in a business that's never going to really, realistically, this, the structure of a ski business is never going to make you this like huge, huge, um, business. It's just like the market cap is just too small, but you know, you're here because you love it. Right. And, uh, it really stinks if you love something and then you lose control of it because you're no longer able to kind of take your baby and, and put it in a direction or a path that you originally wanted to go on. And, um, so I'm very lucky in the sense that I've, you know, was wor- able to work and put enough of my own cash into it initially to maintain, um, yeah, 
a, a strong say in the direction of the future of the brand. Yeah. And, and I think too, like when you're, you know, in your early twenties and you're getting up at 5am to work on this and then going and working in the venture and then when more doing, doing more window washing at night and all that, like that's, if you're willing to do that, you have the passion to make it happen. Right. You, like you said, like if you start a ski ski company, it's because you're passionate about skiing, right? It's not because you want to become a, you know, billionaire overnight. And so I think like, you know, like you said, using your own money to do that and having worked for that money makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to let it go of it nearly as fast. You're, you're far more picky on where, where it goes if it came out of your, your back pocket initially. Totally. Yeah. And, and this, this is something I wanted to talk about anyway, which you touched on obviously with the funding, but you've self-described as sort of a scrappy entrepreneur. Um, can you tell me like what that looked like in the early days of sort of like figuring this out? Yeah, I think so much of it just was tied to this you know, massive cap of capital. Uh, and when I say cap, like the limitation of, of capital, um, you know, we were scrappy because we had to be, there was no other option. And, um, you know, we just had going out and, and taking a bunch of ads out in a magazine or something like that wasn't even on the table. So we were forced to, you know, quote unquote, be scrappy by pure metric of just trying to survive. Uh, so I think, you know, again, if we had a million dollars, we would have, we would have figured a way to spend it real fast and it, we would have spent it and uh, been way, way less efficient with it because we didn't have to be as specific with it. Whereas every single dollar for us out the door, we were watching where that dollar went. What did it do? Did it grow something? Did it make a sale? Yes or no. Yeah. And so you're a lot more ruthless with your expenses when, you know, when they're, you're, your total assets are, are so small. Um, but I think that, you know, you could now, now that I know a little more, I think you could, you could have a, a bunch of money. And as long as you're still honest and, and able to very specifically spend that in, in ways that are, I don't say necessarily scrapping themselves, but have tendencies of just a well thought out plan is another way you could do it. Is you, even if you have access to capital, um, I think it's really important that you make a plan, figure out how you're going to spend it, understand like your, your goes, no goes, what limitations, what benchmarks you're going to set so that you know to stop spending, you know, so you don't just keep going with it just because, you know, it's quote unquote kind of working or something like that. So uh, now that I know what I know, I think that, you know, if people are, have access to capital, then you could absolutely still, you know, be scrappy with it with purely, a, you know, a well-run and well-organized machine. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you kind of go into it with that, which not yeah. a lot of like first time or young entrepreneurs do. Right. Yeah, because you, you hear these stories, these like pie in the sky, these unicorn businesses, and there's you know I just actually heard a stat. Actually, I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> just, there's there's fewer entrepreneurs now than there ever has been, kind of thing, which is crazy. But different stat. But yeah, we all hear about these like unicorn businesses, and these numbers are so huge, and so you think you're like, oh yeah, that's where I'm going to be, or that's like the, what my budget should be like. And no, that's just not rea- That's just not reality. Is the reason the unicorn businesses is because they're unicorn businesses. Like they don't really, there's a few things you can learn from them. Like we're constantly looking at like Tesla or an Apple or something like that. Or like how Rolex does something. But we, if we act like a Tesla, we're dead. We're not Tesla. Right. We're not Apple. As much as like we like to think that, oh, this is a cool design or this is a you know cool um, business model or principle that we might want to implement somehow. But if we act like a Tesla or act like an uh, Apple, we're done. So you still have to remember, you know, who you are as a business, as a, as a brand, and you can take that learning from others, but you can't emulate it yeah. to a T. That's so true. And I think too, like making sure you're taking, and that's why I think advisors and, and a team are important in terms of like deciding what advice to take. Right. And, and I'm, 
I think if you go with the first thing someone tells you all the time, it's not not <laughs> always the best yeah. best path. But um, and you you talked a lot about you keep saying we, and you talked a little bit about sort of the um, folks behind you. But I want to dig a little bit more into that. You are technically a solo founder, um, which is not for everyone. Um, <laughs> but again, you've sort of said that that you are part of a team. Can you talk a little bit about what that's looked like over the years? Yeah, I think. Uh yeah, I think there's there's certainly benefits and drawbacks to being a solo founder. Obviously, you have fewer um, issues with the founders because it's just you and yourself kind of thing. But um, obviously, being with a, a team of folks who are you know actually co-founders with, uh, they can bring plenty to the table and truly accelerate a brand far, far faster than any individual ever could. Um, with that is obviously some kind of tension, a natural level of tension. And there's a point where that could actually be the the breakdown of you know a company. I'm not sure the stats behind it, but obviously the, the first reason why businesses go out of business are, is lack of cap, capital, lack of cash. But I wouldn't. I would say that for startups, another huge element would be you know founder disagreements and uh, this kind of the dissolution of. Uh, that's not quite a word, but the, I also say that the you can make up <laughs> words on this podcast. Okay, We're cool. Cool We're going to say the dissolution of <laughs> the, the the original founding team uh, just for you know, disagreements on basic principles or something like that. So it's it's you're basically going into a marriage that you have no. There's no divorce, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you all have a, a, a very specific, well you know, laid out stake in the company that has is part of a 50-page operating agreement, you kind of know exactly what you can and what you cannot do. And it turns into, you know, politics. And unfortunately, if you're trying to run a business, throwing politics into it can not necessarily help. It's probably not going to help the, the overall cause. So it's, you know, pluses and minuses. And as a single, you know, solo entrepreneur, it's uh, it's certainly been hard in time in terms of while well, I don't have to deal with other co-founders, um, you also everything every every high is really high and every low is really low and really lonely in the sense of you know if you have a, a string of failures or a string of no's a string of you know bad sales or something like that there's no one else to shield it from you there's no one else to kind of pick you back up and um, I you know I always joke that renown and it's true renown's run out of money like actually out of money seven times. <laughs> And no one knows that. Um, like from the outside, people don't think that uh, th- that could be a possibility, kind of thing. But those lows, when we're and we're look, when we're staying on the barrel um, of you know seventeen cents in the bank account and thousands of dollars of, of outstanding invoices and stuff, and you're trying to figure out you know, how do I how do I make this work? Like this math, I know math and math. You know, seventeen cents does not cover those things, right? And uh, yeah. it's it's pretty hard to to keep going forward with that. And one thing I've always done and. Um, I kind of gave myself a rule when I started this that I would always just like just you know try I'll just just do something and the reason why we named our first ski the endurance was just a reminder to that is the only reason we're gonna win and beat this and become like the largest ski company in the B2C world is because we endure we don't stop um, and I think that's the thing that a lot of a lot of ski brands forget and a lot of companies forget that there's a big level of grit that uh, that goes into this stuff and yeah there's brands that you can be pretty gritty and then then it will blow up and you'll become an Amazon or you become a, um, you know, away bags, like a, a bag company that for, for um, travel bags. But, uh, you know, for every company like that, there's 10,000 that, uh, you know, you put 10, 15 years into it before it goes off. And that level of grit and just stick to is, you know, I think is a pretty vital, vital part. And I think the, I guess the caveat here, and this is something I'm still trying to figure out is at what point do you give up? Right, because there's also something we said for like closing shop and moving on to the next thing. Um, so I'm actually really curious to see what how that kind of plays out. Because I think there is a time and a place where 
um, I have continued and I have been given advice to continue, but I also think there's times where I could have stopped and, you know, and then five years ago, you know, what would I, where would I be today if I had stopped that? And obviously I'm very excited to be where I'm at today. And, you know, there's definitely no regrets with it because you can't, can't change the, the past, but I think that's a pretty tough decision that everybody has to make by themselves and no one else can make it for you is, you know, if you're going to go forward, do it. If yeah. you're not, that's fine. Close it up and go to the next thing. Well, one of the things that I've always loved about you and your business is that you've just done it your way, which I think I have attended. I just see so many businesses working at VSET and that I tend to put things into boxes. You know, it's best to have a co-founder. It's best to have an exit plan. Um, but here you are sort of defying both of those things. And it's that's what I love about entrepreneurship and especially Vermont entrepreneurs, I think, is they're constantly sort of defying what what's typical or what you're supposed to do. Um, but I think, you know, what resonates with me is what you just said is just like, you know, that tenacity to make the decisions that you feel in your gut you need to make at the time and letting that sort of lead you. Um, so I, I admire you for that. Um, and then as part of that sort of like, you know, me, we, you know, I guess like juxtaposition, have you had any sort of like advisors or team members over the years that have been particularly helpful? Yeah. Um, there's definitely been a lot and Burlington's a place where you can reach out to almost anybody and grab coffee, I guess virtual coffee for right now, but normally coffee, um, (laughs) with uh with almost anybody and it's a pretty cool place where you can pick up the phone and either find their phone number in the phone book or <laughs> uh you know or or through a, a small connection i always you know the biggest one i'd say you know jason leventhal from he started line skis sold to k2 and then started j skis um but he's a guy who i literally found his phone number in the phone book call his house you know i was like hey jay you don't know who i am i'm this kid i want to start this company and uh, he's like yeah come on in we'll, we'll have a chat and uh, you know, whatever it is set probably since the, at this point, about seven, eight years later, you know, we still talk not every day, but definitely every other week kind of thing. And yeah, with a guy, a guy like that, I mean, Tim Volk, Mike Nick, uh, there's, you know, tons of people in the Burlington area that I just wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, I definitely wouldn't be here. Um, you know, where, I, where I'd be is kind of hard to say in terms of like what, what decisions I would have made otherwise. But, yeah. um, yeah, no doubt that I owe a lot to the people that, you know, surrounded, um, surrounded that I surrounded myself with and also who came around me naturally um, just because Burlington's that kind of community where people will, you know, hit you up and ask you for, you know, 15 minutes of your time. And you know, one in particular was uh, <laughs> Keegan Caldwell. He's uh, our lawyer. And uh, I remember he sent me a LinkedIn request and was like, hey, you're going to, I just want to say like, you're going to lose your patent and I can help you. Can I buy you a beer? Amazing. And uh, I was like, oh, who is this guy? And so <laughs> I went down and had a, had a beer with him at a, the farmhouse group. And he basically sat me down and was like, here's like, I did some research. Here's why I think you're gonna lose your patent. Here's why I think we need to fix it. Like, do you want me to help you out? And no one had ever been like that straight of a shooter. And like, you're like this, you're gonna lose it, which is one thing to say, it's kind of aggressive, especially if you don't know the person, yeah. but then to say, and I've done all this work to, to think, to figure out a way to, to get, to get you through this. Right. And he didn't want it to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was so excited about it. And he's, and he's, and he's still a lawyer today. And I, He's now in Boston. I think last year he was the second fastest growing law firm in the country. Um, so he's, you know, now like a, a big, a big wig kind of thing. But we're we're lucky to call him our our attorney, and we're technically his first client. So amazing, yeah, yeah. I think that that's such a great anecdote and like such a perfect representation. I think of of the business community here. Um, but I think you're exactly right. And one of the one of the 
biggest recommendations I make to entrepreneurs is just ask. You, the worst <laughs> thing that could happen is say no. And I think, yeah. you know, pulling out the phone book and and calling someone at home is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Is if you hadn't done that, where you know it's oh it's easy to say where would you be, but like mm-hmm. really those are the little things that end up making such a big difference. And I think um, the entrepreneurs that are most successful in Vermont are the ones that get their names out there and meet people and network like rock stars, as Dave would say, um, to, to just get their brand out there and people can't help themselves, but want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it comes off as a little aggressive at the mm-hmm. beginning. <laughs> um, so one thing that I've always noticed about your company is you have a knack for getting press. Like, I feel like <laughs> I'm always seeing renown and that to me has to be like a pretty big deal. Um, for your products. So can you tell me about like how that has come about and any like strategies that you might recommend for others? Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, because we never hired a pre- like a PR agency or anything like, that, anything like that. It's always just been from, from us. I think there's like two things. One is, uh, we actually have a cool product, right? We have like, <laughs> that like helps. A, yeah. Like having, you know, in the, in the ski world, again, like everybody builds skis with a, like literally this, the same supplies. Like you can, everybody buys edges from like one person. Uh, or maybe two, but it's essentially the same stuff, right? And yes, you're putting it together differently. And yes, there's a different, different top sheet and different brand. There's a different, you know, aura behind it, which is what makes skiing so cool. Um, but we actually have something a little different, which is, you know, the first part of it. Um, and I think the second part of it is uh, there's a there's a story, the technology, like the, the product is di- you know, different, but then there's a story, like the, how we started and kind of the unabashful, like, doggedness that we just pursued this thing. Um, yeah, whether it's from the window washing side of things, like that storyline, or how you know we won ISPO but didn't know what it was. Turned out that we had beat you know Alon and K two and Solomon at their own game kind of thing. And so I think there's enough of this like you know entrepreneurial like success story um, that people tap into that you know as well. So you can either kind of nerd out on the the physical product side of thing or or the you know or the brand and, and where we've kind of come from. But also you know I also I'm very particularly to not paint Renown as a ski company. Like there's a reason why we're not called Renown Skis or Renown Ski Company is you know, I really think that renown, like people always ask me, like, when's K2 going to buy you? And I'm always like, no, 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 we're going to buy K2. <laughs> and, you know, they joke or they think I'm joking, but the reality is, and I'm not sure we're not ever, you know, buy K2 necessarily, but like, that's where we're going is we don't see renown. It's not just a small Vermont company, right? Renown is going to be, you know, truly world renowned at some point. And that's the, the vision, the goal behind that. And, you know, as soon as we expand into, we got skis now, eventually a natural progression. We snowboards. We also have patents for surfboards. We also take the same technology, put it in basketball floors. And now Shaq has a floor in his house with our technology in it. Um, what? And there's, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Oh my God. Yeah. And, you know, and we also like, you know, other visions we have is like, we, we want to be like an, a small, our own incubator in our own right. Right. And have a, you know, have a, a whether it's an mentorship program or some kind of investment program to get other entrepreneurs off the ground because you know just like i wouldn't be here without some you know great advice and in some cases people who have you know given some capital um whether through investment or uh you know actual like you know we win we win a check or something like that we wouldn't be here with any of that stuff and i think that you know renown we if if we're good enough to to make through the industry the ski industry that we should not just stop there and like just just quote unquote own the ski industry or something like that or be a, a big player in that but we can take that authority and, and project it farther, much farther beyond that. Because I don't see Renown just like a ski company, right? Like our, our tagline is to inspire. And it always has been. In our website, it's on the bottom of the footer. And you can't really tell, but if you can click on it, it goes to like a, a 15 or I guess it's a 40 second video about like just the aura, the like the 
essence of Renown and what we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, it's supposed to be a little bit of an Easter egg. Um, but that's the thing is like, we're not, we're not pitching skis. So like back to your original question, like the PR side of things is like, we have a cool product, which is nice. We have a cool like, entrepreneurship, like startup story. But then, you know, we go and look at the wall and we, we paint, we're painting a picture on like, Hey, this is like who we are today, but we're using this entire canvas and we see Renown going so much, so much bigger than just, you know, Hey, we're a cool company building skis. And, you know, right now we hope to say, yeah, we're a cool company building skis, but like, this is how you've done it. This is what you can do to do it. And yeah, if you want to, you want some help or some advice on how you to do your own business, like I'll pick up the phone and, and talk to you. So, um, yeah, our, we want to do way more than just, just skis. Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, it, it's so, you know, we've, these sets done a lot of stuff like our, our podcast, obviously, and our female founders speaker series, to tell these stories because it really, really resonates with people. And we've had people say, Hey, I I actually started my business after hearing, you know, episode, whatever, or Mm -hmm. coming to this specific event. And I think, you know, what you said is like paying it forward and like, and helping the next sort of generation of entrepreneurs, like that's what it's all about. And that's Mm -hmm. what I think most entrepreneurs find really gratifying. And I think, you know, when, especially founders, when they are able to sort of like hand off um, some responsibilities of that day-to-day stuff, that's what they want to do. They want to mm-hmm. work with other entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. and help them and pay it forward. And yeah. I, I'm, t- I'm totally calling you on you for that <laughs> um, moving forward. Anytime. Um, so what is the ISPO? And and tell me about how you won that and how it impacted your company. Yeah, so um, ISPO, I forget what it actually stands for, but it's essentially a really big trade show out in Munich yeah. in Germany. And it's the world's largest uh, trade show for sporting goods. And uh, they have a, you know, a segment of awards that you every company can apply towards. Um, you know, there's different uh, categories. So in our there's in our case, we applied for you know the downhill ski side of things. And uh, a friend had recommended that we, re- we we apply for it. So I had, and I remember, I was uh, in a cafe. I th- I think I was in I think I was in Japan. I was trying to do a, a, a selling tour, which went so wrong. I didn't sell a single pair of skis, but I think I was in a cafe. Yeah, I was in a cafe in, in yeah, in, in Tokyo. And uh, I realized the deadline to get skis to Germany was like three days away, four days away or oh, something like no. that. And I was like, oh, I just can't do it. I, like, there's no way this is going to happen. I'm in Tokyo. I don't even have like the right pair of skis with me, whatever. And so I had to be talking to my mom. And as moms do, she's like, well, I'll get them there. And, uh, yes, mom. she went down because, you know, classic startup, our skis were still stored in my parents' basement. She went down the basement, found the ski, boxed it up, put a nice little ribbon on it and got out the door and it showed up at like 9.53 for a 10 a.m. deadline in, in Munich, Germany. And, uh, which I didn't, this whole story, I didn't really, I knew my mom had sent it out, but I didn't realize how close everything was until we actually won later on. They, they kind of gave us backstory, like, yeah, they basically canned this, the skis like in the middle of the present, like in the, you know, just as we were starting this meeting about, you know, who wins. So turns out we won. And I remember I had come back by the time we, they announced it, I'd come back to the States and I was in Tahoe and checked my email. And I got this email saying, you know, it was a very plain text email, right? It just was yeah. like, you know, subject line, renown, Ispo gold. And, you know, the, the body was just like, hey, dear renowned skis, like, congratulations, you just won Ispo gold. And it went on to say some stuff. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I don't know, what, what's Ispo gold? <laughs> and so I remember I screenshot it, sent it to my buddy who was working at Burton at the time. And I was like, yo, Doug, what's, what is this ISPO gold thing? Like, it sounds cool. Uh, gold's good, right? You know, maybe it's a platinum though. You're a diamond level. You don't know. And he's just like, he calls me. He's like, sorry, so you won gold? I was like, yeah, I guess so. 
He's like, I've been working at Burton for, you know, however long, and I've never won at Spogel. That's freaking crazy, man. I was like, well, what is it? He's like, just fly to Munich. You'll find out. So I got to get flew to Munich. And, uh, yeah, it turned into, you know, it's like eight aircraft hangars. It's huge. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, our skis were like one of, you know, the few products that were on this runway of, of the on top awards for different areas and stuff. And it immediately set us from this, because it was our first year on the market, right? We yeah. immediately went from essentially no, a nobody, no one knew who we were, but also just like we were the same as any other garage brand essentially at the time, right? And it elevated us from just either a no name to just this company that holy cow just beat out Salomon, KT, Rosnall, Alon, um, everybody at their own game kind of thing. And uh, it was pretty cool to be at that level. And you know, I remember I was on stage looking down. I was like, oh, that's the president of Alon Skis right there who they manufacture, you know, half a million skis a year or more. Uh, I'm just thinking like, oh, that's, that's pretty wild. So yeah, it just elevated us to a, a level that we would never would have could have gotten if it wasn't for that. Especially coming off of, uh, you know, sorry to bring it up again, but your failed uh, sales <laughs> oh, trip. Yeah, no I worries. really needed that. <laughs> yeah, no, that was the that was a pretty rough trip. Um, it was one of those like, trips you go and like, okay, this is going to be the, the start of the company. We're going to go out, we're going to sell a bunch of skis because the Japanese market is actually hilariously huge. Yeah. Um, yeah, total failure. It was hilarious. Oh, but to come back to have the win, it was yeah, more than made up for it, which is nice. Totally. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you are a B2C ski company. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about what you've learned about running an e-commerce business. Yeah. I'm sure that's not <laughs> what you thought you'd be doing at the beginning. No, not at all. Uh, I think the first thing is that I'm still absolutely shocked. And to anybody out there who wants to start a ski company, sell B2C. I had no idea how people sell through wholesale. Like I really don't. And I know what manufacturing costs are. I know the cost of running a business at this point, right? I, 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 I cannot see a way in which you make money going wholesale only, period. Um, unless you're you're selling over 100,000 or even over 50,000 units or something like that, right? Um, but if you're going to go from zero to 50,000 units, you're talking $20 million in, in, in just startup costs um, plus 10 years of just like getting your name out there kind of thing. You, it, it just takes time um, if you want to do that. Whereas a, a B2C, yeah, you can... You know, if you want to just run it yourself, you can, you know, your expenses can be as low as you want kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. B2C, uh, it's a it's a world that I still don't fully understand. I think every day I, I'm learning something. I think we know. all are. Right. You're yeah. not alone. <laughs> it's wild. And it's, it's also wild to think that we're, you know, the third largest B2C company in, uh, in the States uh, because there's nobody else. <laughs> there's so few companies Amazing. that are doing this that we are, we're one of base, really three companies that are writing the rules on how the B2C game's gonna gonna play out. And it's really fun to be on that, like, that forefront. And I always thought when we first started that, oh my gosh, like everybody's gonna realize this. Everybody's gonna be B2C in two years, whatever. You know, and seven years later, we're still one of three, or right? I guess there's now four technically. And you can preach about how it's the way to go. And yeah, and people still, still don't do following. it. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, and that was the biggest thing that we, you know, stole from Tesla. Like this one of those like business principles that, we borrowed mm-hmm. from them, or still, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, while we leave plenty of other things on, on let Tesla do their own thing, one of the things we did was look at how they were selling cars. We brought that to, to selling skis because otherwise the numbers just don't work. And uh, the numbers don't lie. Yeah. So. That's, and so how did you, like, I mean, it must have been scary to just, like, put these on a website. Like, did you have, like, a trial period like a good return policy like what (laughs) how did you tackle that yeah we we had this thing um called a 100 day guarantee 
And so we offered people, like, if you bought the pair of skis, you had 100 days, which is an entire ski season yeah. to try them out. And if you didn't like them, you that could send them back. must have been a little scary on the first yeah. button push there. Yeah. But we knew that f- even if it went, things went really sideways, we could talk to a lot of people. And if there's an issue, we could say, oh, well, you're just on the wrong pair of skis. Like, we'll swap it out for the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, our, our return rate with that was still like super low. Because when someone gets on a pair of skis, they like them. And if they don't, because they, people, okay, uh, there's a lot of skis out there, but skis are like jeans. Yeah. Not every jean is going to fit every person, right? Like and we you can know have, right away. No. Yeah. Yeah. And you could have, you know, a pair of, of jeans that like fits, like I, I got a friend who's the same height as me, right? We both have the same waist width, whatever. And you, you put jeans on and one person that they fit great on the other person, even though, even though they're the same, like kind of quote unquote build, it doesn't work at all. Yeah. And so in the same as the pair of skis, if someone gets on our pairs and they don't like them, that's totally fine. Right. If, if anything, we did a bad job like selling them something that that ski was not. And even though our skis are adaptable and they're you know pretty cool and how they can broaden the range of usability, they're still not a unicorn ski. It doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, so we just we did a bad job marketing to them or talk, telling them that the ski could do something that it couldn't. Um, and that was our, you know, essentially our, our uh, mistake. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you should be on a pair of skis that you like. And if it's not ours, we're happily take your ski back, give your money and point you in the direction of a new company because, you know, you should enjoy your time on the, the hill. Like whatever Dave's doing right now, I'm sure he's on a board he loves. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, I love that. And I think, you know, I guess that leads to a question that, that's totally a backtrack question, but I can't help it because it's a, an issue that I think almost every entrepreneur really struggles with is like that first set of customers, like getting these skis in people's hands at the beginning. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, it was wild. I remember our first order that from a, a person we didn't know, it was a guy in Norway. And I remember just thinking like, how did this person in Norway like find us, right? And I guess it goes back to the B2C thing is, you know, you instantaneously are worldwide. Boom, yeah. instantaneously. Um, but I thought that was pretty wild when they, we got our first order from a guy. We had, you know, absolutely no idea who he was kind of thing. That was pretty cool. Like, is this someone's uncle? Yeah, Anyone? you're like, somebody Anyone? must have told this person. Was this like my gym teacher back in the, you know? So <laughs> it was pretty wild. But yeah, I guess it's a little, little nerve wracking. Um, it's also nerve wracking. I think more nerve wracking is you putting it out there and, and things not happening. Yeah. Right. Because it's one thing, you know, you can put all this blood, someone tears in something. And if it goes crazily well and you have to, you know, deal with all these returns and this huge flux and volume, it's a problem itself. But, you know, the scarier thing and, you know, no doubt is I think we all would feel it is what happens if you, no one likes it. Right. And there's like that, that fear of like, I'm not good enough or my product's not good enough and or my brain. My, my intelligence isn't good enough because people aren't finding us or people don't like it kind of thing. And I think you kind of, you have to get over yourself and understand that, you know, I renown is an extension of myself and what I like. And certainly we tweak things to, to fit with where we think the market's going, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, not a small part of renown. That's like a big stamp of, of me on it. Yeah. And uh, it's a little um, humbling and sometimes like scary to, to have like a, a big part of you out in the world for people to both love, but also to, to hate. Yeah. So, you know, you feel that every day when, you know, sometimes when people don't like the product or something like that, but you know, fortunately for us, it's, uh, it's pretty rare. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and another part of this like renowned brand that I'm, I'm starting to learn is just so much, you have such a bigger vision for it and so much more than a ski company. Um, from the start, sustainability has been important to you. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's always so funny to me how people can be in this, in any industry that's uh, let's just say particularly harsh, the environment, 
um, and not just be honest about it. And I think, you know, for us is we've always been a little more vocal about that. And more recently, we just became the first ski company in the world to, to become cl- carbon neutral. And, uh, Hell yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. So, thanks. Um, so yeah, we're the first one to commit. And then we were also the first ones to actually become uh, carbon neutral. And, and for us, it's just a matter of like, number one, owning up to the fact that skis are straight up terrible for the environment. And it's, it's so funny that you, you can go around to other ski companies' websites and I won't name any names, but there's one in particular that's a, a well-known brand and their sustainability page says, yes, we care, you know, exclamation point. And I just thought that was just such a joke of a, you know, of a thing in that if, if you're going to build like some pretty some stuff that's pretty bad for the environment and then, you know, pretend like you're going to go out and play in this beautiful nature and that the fact that your, your gear is not like actually helping to kill that is kind of a, a bad look for you. And so, you know, our sustainability page is, you know, the first thing we say is these skis are terrible. Here's what we're doing to fix it. And you know, the best thing you can do is to not buy these skis. And we'll actually give people, if they send their skis back to us, any pair of skis back to us, we'll give them credit and we'll find a new owner for those skis uh, for free. Wow. Um, and it's a, uh, just for us, we just want to call it out to people so that people are uh, far more aware of that. In fact, one thing we've always thought about doing, maybe we're a little too nervous to try it, but maybe we will, is before they can click buy, they have to say, yes, I actually need skis. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I, and I think you're, like you said, like you're buying into the brand, right? Like you're becoming part of the renowned family. And like, yep. you know, I think one thing that's cool about, you know, skis and snowboards and bikes and all that kind of stuff is like every customer you have is sort of like a rep for your brand, right? Um, and so I, I, I think you should try it. Yeah. Why, why kinda, not? Be, uh, yeah. At well, least on like maybe one model. See yeah. How it goes. Right. Yeah. In the worst <laughs> case scenario, it doesn't work and you take it down. Yeah. With the beauty of, again, B2C, go to B2C. <laughs> totally. Well, we're like running low on time already. Amazingly, but I do have a few more questions. Um, I, I have to, has COVID impacted your company at all? Yeah. In a really good way. Good. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, we're, we'd love to hear that. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously we're very well aware that there are, there's a very defined line and there's people on, on one side of the line that did well and people on the other side that were really, really impacted. So, um, I don't want to be you know, in, in consider of the fact that we got very lucky and just happened to be on the, the right side of, you know, that line. Um, but you know, people are looking to be outside They're They want to be you know, closer to nature. Uh, you know, COVID absolutely, expanded people's horizons of what what work can even look like and because of that people can be closer to those places that you know previously they had to weekend warrior to or drive up on a late you know late on a friday night kind of thing and now they can be at the base of a mountain working remotely and their boss doesn't know if they're in you know dubai or vermont or new york city so yeah it's been good for us i mean we've had our own hiccups and stuff we had a really wild year like our our year did not follow any typical trends which made it hard to predict stuff but right at the end of the day we're uh it worked out great. Yeah. I, I mean, just personally, I mean, we like my husband and I haven't, we haven't spent money on anything yeah. really except, and he was like, oh, I, I really need a new split board. I'm like, get a new split board. Yeah. I'm like, we haven't spent any money yeah, on anything outside. fun yeah. for nine months. Yeah. Like might as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah, that's, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I think it's, you know, obviously we're losing a lot of businesses we love and, and there's been a lot of hardship in the business mm-hmm. community, but I think we do need to celebrate the wins for the companies mm-hmm. that have done really well. And, um, and I've seen so many of them paying it back, which is, um, just always really inspiring. Um, is there a Vermont company that you really admire or are sort of excited about right now that we should know about? Uh, I'm sure you guys already know about it, but beta beta. Um, yes. I've always been a big airplane guy and 
I, uh, I mean, I studied aeronautical engineering before I dropped out. So that was uh, always kind of in my, I didn't my know background. that. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, beta is just, uh, I think what they're doing is pretty cool. And it, you know, at the end of the day, you know, although making batteries fly is expensive and, you know, you're pulling a bunch of lithium out of the ground, you know, the alternative is, you know, something far worse than just like skis, right? Like our skis are no better than, than anybody else's skis from an environmental perspective yet, but at least we're, we're doing something in our case, we're offsetting, but at least we're doing something, um, about that. And I think that's what, you know, what Bay is doing is they're looking at a problem with fresh eyes, bringing in, you know, a, a baseline new idea, new concept. And there, although there's plenty of other companies out there that are doing, you know, trying to, to solve for the same equation, essentially, their approach, I think, is is pretty cool, and you know the fact they're just down the street, and we uh, we built them some skis this year, and uh, Kyle and I went for a, a quick flight, and it was cool to see you know Vermont from in the air, and you know check out this beautiful state. Amazing, yeah, they are certainly redefining what it what a Vermont entrepreneur should or needs to look like, mm-hmm. which I I always love um, when we surprise people out there. Right. Um. So. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to ask you before we start wrapping up here is what can our listeners do to help support Renown? Um, or is there something on the horizon that we should get excited about? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I think, I, I guess the first thing is like, if you need skis, I mean, first it's like, do you really need them? Um, but yeah, tell your friends. I mean, the Renown is a, it, there's a big network out there, whether you're owner or not kind of thing. Um, but I think I would just more just encourage people to get outside, you know, uh, back to, you know, these unicorn businesses that blow up and have these crazy, you know, growth curves and stuff like that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, everybody's still waking up, everybody's still chugging coffee and answering emails kind of thing. But it's the stuff in between that we're all, you know, fighting for, ironically. So I think that don't lose track of that and getting outside, even just for a walk. Um, that's what we're at the end of the day. So many people are just trying to get closer to have that freedom and stuff like that. So don't take those for granted. Absolutely. Yeah. We need it more than ever. Um, all right. Well, it is time for our magic wand question, our signature right. sign off here. <laughs> um, if you could change one thing in Vermont today with a magic wand, so it can be completely unreasonable. What would you change? Oh, wild. Can I have a second to think about this one? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We've we've cut out like four minutes of thought yeah. process for people. Okay. <laughs> um, there's two things. One that you guys can chop out later is the, <laughs> the dating scene here sucks. The dating scene. No, that no one has said that, and I've been waiting <laughs> for it. So you get like extra points. All right. All right. Well, you guys could choose to put it in there or that, but I don't know if it's uh, on no, brand for you guys. No, that's perfect. Okay. That's so on brand. <laughs> um, no, it's funny though. I. I've been actively trying to leave Vermont for four and a half years, and I really have. We've um, got you by the ankle here. Yeah, but there's nowhere else that I can walk from my apartment to the office, work for a few hours, then go down the street, grab a, surf, a windsurfer, and go windsurfing for an hour. Come back, work for a few more hours, walk home, grab my bike, go biking for two hours, and have some of the like some cr- truly incredible trails like 25 minutes away. Have a beer, have a burger, get back home, be in bed by 9.30. And just do it again. It's not a, it wasn't like a marathon of a day. That's just like, that can be a pretty normal day here. And, um, it's, it's, it, it's just incredible. Like I've traveled across country now, like four or five times, like dri- dri- driving for, for work and for fun. And, um, I've been very fortunate to, to visit many cities and many States and in a few countries. And, 
I still have not found a place that has the proximity of all these activities so close. Um, you know, everybody has, there's a few places that have, you know, I always tell Vermont people that Vermont's not the, the state of ists, like we don't have the biggest mountain or the deepest lake or the, the bestest snow, Yeah. but we have this incredible combination of all that stuff. And it is a pretty hard place to, to, um, to replace. And I think the closest I've come to is like, you know, like Munich actually, but where Munich, Germany, Oh, Munich. Yeah. But even then it's not, a. It's not Vermont. Yeah. It's not Burlington. But yeah. uh, I think I think you're exactly right. I think that's you know getting especially now that the lights back, right? Like oh my if you are leaving work at five o'clock, you still have a solid three or four hours to do activities mm-hmm. and, and that's that's huge. And I think that'll always give us a little leg up. But mm-hmm. we'll definitely have to work on the dating scene because <laughs> I am I am married, but many of my friends are like, "Come on, I I love Vermont, but I you know how do yeah. I tackle this?" So, yeah. well, let's funny. get an entrepreneur on it. I think that's yeah. The move. Maybe that is is a uh, actually there's this new app. Maybe a little plug here, but I I uh, came across it from somebody I met in a recent trip, uh, which I know it's COVID, so maybe you know we shouldn't go on trips. But a recent safe trip, right? A recent safe trip, right? Quarantined. And um, was a, a an app for. Uh, active uh, going out like activities uh, planning activities and stuff like that with, yes. with strangers essentially and i was talking with one of the guys who started it and he's like dude ironically a lot of people are using this thing for uh for dating because you know if you're out for a bike ride it is kind of weird to like walk up to a group of people and be like hey can i try to tag along with <laughs> as you as an adult yes. yeah it's like it's, it's just like you don't really do that yeah and you know this app i guess is a great way for people to be like hey like, i'm going to lunch oh you're on lunch all right let's just meet up and um we'll go for a ride and while talking, if talking turns into something else, you know, then there you go. But I love that. Yeah. I think activity based is the way to go for yeah. sure. So yeah. But well, thank you well, so much, Cyrus, for joining you. me today. And uh, I I miss Dave a little bit, but I think we did pretty good. <laughs> I think we did fine. Yeah, I think he's I think he's gonna miss out. I think he's gonna be more bummed. Absolutely, absolutely. This has been Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. This series is supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. We're thrilled that this episode is brought to you by the Vermont Small Business Development Center. The SBDC offers no-cost expert assistance to small business owners and entrepreneurs. Whether you're a student entrepreneur just starting out or an experienced business professional, the SBDC can help you reach your goals. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, write a review, and share. Thanks for listening, and now let's get back to work.